Welcome to episode 444 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Grace Winburn. Reed Ramsey. And Andrew Swafford. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And then in part two, we will be concluding our Michelle Yeoh series with 2000's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I can't say Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh because we're recording this before it happens, so we don't know. Hopefully. So, or, or we'll be talking, we'll be concluding our Oscar winning actress Michelle Yeoh series with <laughs> Dragon. Yeah. Get the engineer who's also me to go, you know, do a little rewind thing. Um, yeah. We, this, we're recording this the Saturday before the Oscars. So, um, I have no idea what happens. It's really cool that they finally came to their senses and gave it to the Fablemans, though. Uh, that was really awesome. <laughs> and yeah, uh, you're going to have the Everything Everywhere fans very mad at you. I'm sure they'll, you know, see another. Everyone, everywhere, all at once. Angry at Zach. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Every, everyone, everywhere, angry at Zach. Yeah, I'm sure they'll see another light somewhere and go follow it. It'll be fine. Um, all right, well, let's jump into movies that we saw this week. And uh, I guess I'm kicking off with, with a movie, Andrew, you saw, but Grace also has lots of thoughts on. I do. Yeah. Um, well, I think we both recently watched it like in the last two weeks yes. or so, right? Um, and that movie, yeah. yeah, I had actually put off watching this movie. The movie is Pearl, by the way, uh, by uh, Ty West and Mia Goth. I want to give Mia Goth like auteur credit on this movie because I think that she definitely deserves it. Um, she wrote the screenplay um, and her uh, performance as this character Pearl um, is so central to what this movie is. I don't, I don't think it would exist without Mia Goth, right? Nor would the movie it is a sequel to X where you have Mia Goth playing two roles. Um, and, and I, I kind of put off this movie, even though that I, I liked X a couple years ago when it came out, uh, because the trailers just f- felt so different and so off-putting in a way that I couldn't really put my finger on that I was worried that watching this would uh, kind of ruin X. Kind of love I just put it off, right? Um, but this is this is tr- truly chaotic. The way in which I came to watch this movie, um, one of my students gifted me a Blu-ray of Pearl for Christmas. <laughs> I do n- that is a wild thing to give to your high school English teacher a Blu-ray of this movie. Good um, job. But good, also, good, good job. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> a little on brand, though. You know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so I kind of put off watching that Blu-ray too, but here we are in March and I have now watched this movie and I, I really, really like it. Um, I was, I was surprised at how well this movie works, despite the fact that it is um, trying to do a completely different thing from the movie that is a sequel to. Um, And, and the reason I think this movie is really exciting to me, especially like as a second movie in what seems to be a trilogy of movies by Ty West and Mia Goth. Um, because like all the movies seem to be playing with different genres. Um, they're all a genre crossed with a slasher. Um, but, you know, before it becomes a slasher, it is, it is its own genre of movie, right? So X is kind of a sexploitation movie that becomes a slasher. Um, uh, and 
uh, Pearl is a melodrama that becomes a slasher. One reason I decided to watch it is apparently one of our uh, our patrons, Chad Newsom, uh, said to Zach that it was like a slasher for Douglas Sirk fans. And uh, when that Wonderful was conveyed to me, I was like, oh, <laughs> man, I have to watch this movie now. And it is that it's it is a a pretty uh, grounded, like emotionally uh, uh, like. I don't know, maybe not emotionally real because melodrama is always a little bit emotionally elevated. Um, but this this movie like seems as though it, it takes this character's uh, psychology much more seriously than any of the, the, the characters in X did. Um, and so because it is such a different kind of movie for such a long time, the violence that does pop up in the latter half of it as it becomes a slasher movie um, despite the fact that violence is more toned down than the violence in X, like that is a really um, extreme <laughs> movie in terms of uh, like horror movie stuff. Um, Pearl, like it has these these smaller little punctuation marks of violence, but despite the fact they're smaller, they feel more brutal because they're in this completely like, I don't know, uh, uh, more... <sighs> it's like a safer world, I guess that, that it exists in. Um, and I guess the only other thing that I want to say about it before I pass things off to you, Grace, is that, um, the one like kind of misgiving I had about X, um, a couple years ago when pe- people were talking about that movie is that, you know, the question of whether or not the movie is in like trafficking in ageism. Um, it's, it's kind of a movie that is ostensibly saying, that it is like empathizing with its um, elderly antagonist, but because of the way that it is still like relying on the audience being shocked by this old body, um, it's it's kind of having it both ways. And and so this movie, because it is giving you the backstory of that character and kind of allowing you to live in her world for a very very long time, it actually. I think injects a lot more empathy into X that I wasn't really even there before. So I'm, I'm excited to go back and rewatch that movie with, with this one uh, kind of as context. Um, but uh, Grace, what are your thoughts about it? Oh yeah. I mean, I saw it at a girl's night um, and what a girl's night. Um, really? That movie is so for the girls. Um, <laughs> we had an amazing time. Um, yes, absolutely give Mia Goth her credits, but like she writes so like an actor and like her mm-hmm. monologue at the end was like yeah. very meaty and very well written and very well spoken. And like she definitely, I mean, of course she writes with her in mind. So she did a great job with that. Um I, I would feel sorry for her. I would also be a little afraid of her. She played Pearl so well. So, like, I do agree with, like, there's something definitely, like, a little more empathetic now about her character now that we know, like, I mean, it's, it explains, it, ne- it never excuses, um, mm-hmm. like, as much as she tries to, like, excuse um, her behavior and how in the end she tries to make it all right um i also see like a young scared little kid like i'll fix it i'll put it back together like it's it's all okay now um i really liked the end scene um the um the great expectations like waiting for her husband to come home Mm -hmm. and that like 
tight close up, big smile. I'm ready. Oh for God! I love that. I, so, I, such an intense smile held for such a long time. Uh, I I'm like yeah. I'm looking right at her. I'm like Mia, my eyes. You have my eyes. Like I see you. Like <laughs> it was. I loved it. I I really loved X. X was so different. I thought that X. Um, you know how like everyone is such a prude like no sex mm-hmm. in movies like it doesn't advance advance the plot and it's like sex right. is the only plot in this movie yeah we are pro sex in movies we have been absolutely that, like god like sex is cool in movies <laughs> um, but, and in real life and in it's real life cool. it's great controversial yeah. opinions <laughs> whoa, <laughs> whoa. Hold on. We should have talked as a group before we started making information. No. <laughs> Just wait but. till we get to my movie. <laughs> Ernest and Celestine too. Oh my god. But like when you know when when sex is the only part of the movie, like that is the plot of the movie, and like I, I thought back a lot about that moment where like Pearl and her, and her husband are together and she's like, you can handle it. Like your heart can take it. It felt like more like she's talking to the audience. Like you guys can handle this. You're mm-hmm. fine. We're all adults. Like we can handle, like if we can handle me brutally, <coughs> brutalizing, murdering people, feeding them to alligators, you guys can handle a little bit of romance, it. a little mm-hmm. bit of sex. And then in Pearl, it really is like it, it, if I didn't, I didn't put together the whole Douglas Cirque thing. It did feel like, so wizard of oz so like early mgm it felt so sweet as apple pie and like um Mm -hmm. it's wearing a lot of its like cinematic influences on its sleeve you know it has like the psycho house and um uh, oh what were some of the other there there were several other um, there's a scarecrow and um, there's a scarecrow there's the scene where like the car is sinking into the the swamp that is oh, uh, framed exactly like the psycho like yeah. uh, swamp moment. So so it was very like well um, shot that way and like very um, familiar um, and it and it and it felt very um, sweet and clean and then it was so sinister like watching her like chase her sister in law. Um, with oh that axe, it's like yeah, such an intense scene, um, and a and a great single shot uh, scene as well. I think that that is a good example of like a very small act of brutality in this movie feeling more heightened because it's existing in this like safer, sweet as apple pie context, and we're kind of living it in real time uh, with the characters too. Watching her sister-in-law like her sister-in-law take like a mental beating with Mm -hmm. Pearl's monologue, explaining her actions, explaining an abortion in her past, her relationship with her husband, her relationship Mm -hmm. with her parents that she has now killed um, all for the sake of, of her own self-interest, her, um, her want to be a star and what she was good her audition yeah. was very good. She's actually like a very talented individual and it is very sad and it is very frustrating. Like, you know, I've been rejected from auditions mm. before, but I've never killed anybody. <laughs> that we know of. It. Yeah. And, but uh, you also never truly see her audition because when the audition is happening, the, the realism movie falls away yeah. and we get to see uh, Pearl's imagination of how good she is 
um, staged as if it is one of these golden age of Hollywood song and dance movies. Um, and, and that is a, a genre that this movie uh, plays with and replicates really, really well too. Ty West is so good at um, making his movie look like it was plucked from another time or um, is, you know, perfectly mimicking some sort of uh, distinct style. So it was great. And the last thing I wanted to say was I really liked the projectionist. I saw Mia Goth mention that she really enjoyed the projectionist because it's like a projection of like her wants, desires, wishes, mm. sexual confidence, like uh, conquest, even like she projects that and mm. he projects it back to yeah. her. So that's oh. all. I kind of want to watch this movie now. It was really good. Okay. I'm super stoked for the third movie and I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what genre it's going to be in. Yeah. Do you think I, it's going to be the backstory of the the protagonist from the f- first film or like a continuation? I think it'll be more like a continuation because I think that it'll be like her, like now she's got like some celebrity attached, like even more so before, like as her dad being that like televangelist, like now she survived mm. like a brutal massacre and she's a sex worker. She's got an interesting story. I see this taking us into like, and like from the looks of the poster, this like Maxine thing felt like kind of acid wash. I didn't know there was a poster. I think from what I saw, or maybe it was like I imagined it. I don't know. I have a very vivid imagination. Um, no, there is a poster. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, but it feels it feels like it's gonna be more of like um, kind of something culty, something eighties, like more mm-hmm. that way. Like Manson. Yeah, because X is the seventies, yeah. right? Yeah, X is the 70s and it's uh, Texas Chainsaw and um, yeah. a little Waco or something. I don't know. Yeah, this looks very 80s to me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. That's going to be great. All right. Well, X and Pearl are out there to be watched. At your next girl's night. <laughs> I, don't know what the, I don't know what the platforms are, but they're out there to be viewed. <laughs> Blu-ray DVD. That's what I watched it on too. There you go. Um, speaking of speaking of nice little genre exercises that can be watched, let's move to uh, All M Night and uh, <laughs> Knock at the Cabin 2023. Which um, I'm gonna I'll, I'll 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 set it up. I, I shared a lot of my thoughts last week, so Reed, I'm gonna hand it over to you. But um, for those unfamiliar, I think it's I think I don't know if it's in theater still, um, but it was on, I saw it was on like you can rent it now. Um, yeah, which is a bummer. If you've not seen it, you should definitely. It's a it's a fun little it's a fun little genre movie. But um, this one it stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, um, Rupert Grant. Very briefly, I talked about him last week. That he's he's incredibly good in this movie for the very short amount of time that he's mm-hmm. there. Um, but uh, you have this couple and their adopted daughter who are vacationing in this uh, remote cabin. And this group of people led by Dave Bautista show up and say that uh, and like like tie them up and are like, you have to make this unthinkable choice um, in order to save the world from the apocalypse. Um, And don't give any like back, you know, don't really give much, much like reasoning why what's, you know, what, what, you know, what's happening. That's uh, that's that's causing this or anything they're they're just like you have to make this choice um in order to stop the apocalypse and um 
yeah, I'm a, I, that's as, as vague as I'm going to be on the plot uh, without, you know, getting into stuff. But Reed, as our as our M. Night enthusiast, what, what were your thoughts on Knock at the Cabin? Um, yeah, I mean, I was every time a new Shyamalan movie comes out, and I think a lot of people feel this to an extent, whether they're like obsessed with this work or not, like it feels more like an event movie than a lot of the other movies that come out throughout the year like i think this was his like lowest performing movie uh in his career at the box office but it was still like the first movie to knock out guitar two off Mm. for a weekend you know so like it's still very successful like people still want to go and see it in the theater and this one in particular i think uh would play better much better in theater than at home would be my guess uh just because it is very quiet uh, for his type of movie too it's very confined almost single location style uh film but i personally i really i really liked it i think there's a lot more there's a lot to wrestle with in it uh different than like even some of his other stuff um but i think formally it is like it's pretty pitch perfect in my mind like the performances are amazing and then just the way uh M. Night like frames uh, actors while they're just like it's a lot of talking because it's like that single location. It's a lot of dialogue, a lot of discussion um, and the way he frames faces. And then he seems to really believe in like bringing an actor's face like larger than life on the big screen. You know, like the big, like almost like the Fablemans type thing, like when Spielberg as a kid's filming the other kid same movie but no but he believes in that like same essence like i'm gonna make this actor like larger than life uh on this huge screen um and then what i particularly liked without spoiling too much uh hopefully uh with this one too is that like uh he does he really focuses on that and all the actual scenes like in the house uh with the characters but then whenever you see any like uh first kind of glimpse of apocalyptic things happening which there's a lot of confusion about what's like real what's like manufactured or what's Mm -hmm. just like lucky for the home invaders basically but there are things happening around the world Mm -hmm. but any glimpse you get of that is like through this really like it's just like a tv report basically but it's like really bad footage of like horrific things happening and it's just so distanced and unreal that like you even feel like as a viewer you even feel distance from it it i feel like that dichotomy yeah. really like places the viewer in a weird spot too where you're like even if this is really happening like it doesn't feel as real as the, this one family of three being like interrogated and like put in this situation here in this small home like thousands of people dying feels less less of a big deal with the way the movie frames it and i'm not saying like that's m night's opinion i'm saying that's very purposeful to like yeah. cause that confusion in the viewer that the same confusion that the characters are undergoing I think. well well it's like you know yeah everything that they're kind of the all the information that they're getting like you know the the group of people are going this is going to happen if you don't make the choice by this time and then they mm-hmm. you know they delay the choice they're like well it's going to happen and then the only thing that you see like of the choice that you know of the of what they said will happen is coming through like the tv um and like you said it's not you know it's very it almost looks like um it almost looks fake to a degree like there's um uh like the there's one of the acts that's uh like a giant like uh tsunami wave and it looks it looks like you're like watching something out of like 
you know like sharknado or something like it like yeah. it purposefully looks kind of like it's not uh realistic but yeah it's playing with like this it's playing with the whole concept also of like you know it, it's kind of making this this media comment of you know oh well it's on tv it must be happening um yeah. and like there's that like um you kind of have the two the two um the couple who's played by jonathan groff and Ben Aldridge, yeah, yeah. Um, are also kind of like these, like pretty affluent, um, like liberal-minded, uh, this liberal-minded gay couple, and so like you also kind of have like this this distrust of of you know, you know, you all like it's playing with like the whole kind of. Uh, like these people are just like buying into like they literally say that they met on Reddit like this Reddit conspiracy theory yeah um which is which I like you know I don't know if you if you're going and kind of going oh M Knight's like exploring this he's not really exploring it he's more just like using it as a jumping off point for the genre like the genre exercise yeah yeah no I agree and I think so the conversation on the movie I think has been strange to an extent. Um, but it makes sense, I guess, for M. Night Shyamalan movies in general. Like, people love to just, like, harp on his twists or, like, weird formal things or, uh, like, perceived inability to direct actors. Like, I'll leave that up to actors. I I like the performances in his movies, but I know a lot of people don't. But I think no one had those issues with this movie. So, like, there's a lot of, uh, issues people are, like, finding, uh, which may or may not be true, but I've seen a lot of people, I love your opinions, actors seen a lot of people uh saying it's like almost like evangelistic what he's doing that like it is just like a an affirmation of like a christian faith viewpoint of the world do we know that Shyamalan do we know him like Shyamalan's religious beliefs I don't Mm. I don't that's another reason I find it weird that people are reject like rejecting that so strongly onto it well, he kind of strikes me as a very like uh, kind of apolitical, a like like it's not like I don't, he doesn't seem to really, like, I, again like that's why I call it a it's like a genre exercise. Like I think he's just utilizing this stuff in order to like enact the uh, you know the most effective experience you know with the movie and like this one. Um, I, it's been interesting, you know. I think I talked about it last uh, in the last episode, but this one doesn't really have like the tw- like there's like this big twist you know it's not like sixth sense it's not like it's not you know a lot of his early movies where you just had like this big like turner i think a lot of his recent stuff like old and um and knock at the cabin like there's a twist but it's not like some giant pronounced thing that people are like oh my god um and so yeah i don't really buy i think like this one uh this one feels more like a theater piece like it is it's like you know a handful of actors in the in one space um kind of trying you know trying to make sense of all this stuff i don't really feel like he's evangelizing or 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 i think he's literally just kind of playing out this scenario um within you know as this as this like narrative experience like uh, like it's it's very not not, not to, like I really like the movie, but it almost kind of has like this B movie quality to it, where it's just kind of like let's just have this like extravagant, um, oh you know over the top p- 
plot to it that we can kind of act out because within the confines of a movie, it's super entertaining to like engage with this. But I don't think he's sending. I don't. I never felt like he was sending a message about quite an, quite honestly anything. I think that's just more a symptom yeah. of like how people view movies today. Yeah. No, I think I agree. I think, in my opinion, I think this is also one of his more like ideologically light movies because he is interested in a lot of things in a lot of his movies but here i think you're right i think it's more of like an exercise and an experiment and i think what he's most interested in is like uh the central family's viewpoints like worldview changing throughout Mm -hmm. the course of the movie essentially because there even is a point like as a gay couple they have to decide is the world even worth saving like is the world that as they know it worth saving based on the how they've been treated by people so like i think that there's a lot of interesting parts within that but that's pretty much all that's going on there like it's basically just a straightforward showing off what these actors can do and showing off what m night can do with the camera which i mean i think is thrilling and fun yeah this that's what's kind of it, it it it's less interested in like the themes and such and more interested in like that's why you have these really kind of fascinating performances by diff, like dave bautista is really good in this movie He's so uh, good. Rupert, rupert grint's really good in this movie um you know jonathan groff uh at, you know out of the couple is really good like you like it's again that's why it's like it's more of a theater piece because it's more about like it's more about like the actors playing within the confines of the writing um and so in that in that way it's a little it's just kind of different um which you know to a degree that's what i think old was also because it's it's not like you go anywhere else other than the old beach you know like it's, <laughs> the beach you know, makes you old yeah like that's the only place you go to <laughs> and so like I, like i think he's like kind of getting in this period period where he's like become more fascinated with like kind of making a much tighter script that really mm-hmm. that really is not doing too much other than just entertaining you and then like letting the actors like operate within that. Um, and it's almost becoming yeah. more like genre theater than it is like, you know, uh, like again, something like the happening or, uh, you know, where, where that just has kind of like this big gaudy uh, plot right. to it. Um, he's much more like, he's much more like, to, you know, it's, it's much more refined and shorter. Yeah, and I think that's been the case, kind of like you're saying, since his, like, failed blockbuster efforts. I mean, mm-hmm. he's clear, like, he had Split and Glass, which were, like, franchise, bigger movies, whatever. But, like, yeah. since The Visit, uh, The Visit, and then Old and this, like, they're all pretty much just, like, scaled down as small as possible. And Because he's like, very, he's really good in that. Cases. Yeah, he's really good in that, in, like, that, in that kind of scale. Like, I'm not a giant M. Night's fan, but, like... And I wasn't super big on old, but like between like that one for sure and this one, like they're both really well directed and effective at like eliciting the emotions that he's trying to elicit out of you while you watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hey, before we, um, oh, sorry, you have more things to say about? No, I was just gonna say that's just a really scientific way of describing uh, having fun at the movies. (laughs) (laughs) He's eliciting the proper emotions from you. Yeah, I think that matters. That's important. Anyways, I wanted to say before we move on from Shyamalan that there is an excellent YouTube video that came out two weeks ago that everyone should go watch uh, that is titled Joe Rogan Went to the Beach That Makes You Old, parentheses, (laughs) featuring Ben Shapiro. And it is it is Joe Rogan, <laughs> like rapidly becoming older, explaining to Ben Shapiro that he went to the beach that makes you old and Ben <laughs> Shapiro arguing against the existence of the beach that makes you old. 
<laughs> that's incredible. So I mean, that's essentially the plot of the movie. Yeah. Cinematary's <laughs> number one movie of 2020. I think it would be really cool to do like some underage drinking on that beach because then, you know, wait a little bit and that's okay. It's legal. Yeah. True. That's, that's, you know, it, you like know. if I were, if I were, if I were a businessman, I'd, I'd start my next restaurant on that beach and, uh, <laughs> Break in the dough. <laughs> so what you're gonna do? A restaurant there. What you're gonna do is you're gonna bring like 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds. That makes them yeah. old. Get, let them wait, wait a little bit. Wait a couple hours and then let them drink. And it sounds like this. a. Uh... If While Nathan they're waiting Fielder in line, had access to the beach While they're waiting in line to come up to the bar, they turn twenty-one, and then it's like this is all ego. Their money spends that, the same. That's the rehearsal. <laughs> rehearsal two, season two. Call me, Nathan Fielder, please. Uh, Call me anytime. Turn one. There all right, well, 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 let's let's get off the beach that makes us old, and uh, and retake us to Jibberishia. Uh, <laughs> Whatever the hell this is called. I don't know. That was pretty good, I think. Uh, it's the new Ernest and Celestine movie. I was able to see it uh, last week at the International <clears throat> Children's Film Festival in New York, um, which is a really great festival. It's going on this weekend, too, if you can go. I guess this won't have come out, so never mind. Disregard that. Yeah. A lot of backing up in this episode. Yeah, I apologize. Um <laughs> But this is the follow-up to the French animated film that came out, I believe, in 2013 or 14 or so, a while ago. It's been a minute. Uh, it's a sequel, yeah, and it's got 2012, even I'm older. It's on my phone oh. right now. I'm looking this up. I'm nervous. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but it is uh, follows Ernest and Celestine, obviously, a bear and a mouse, uh, who the first one follows them as they become friends, and then this one is a little bit further on, obviously, and and they basically are out of money and they're trying to figure out how to make some money. And so Celestine, in an effort to help Ernest get everyone on the feet, take, goes and grabs his uh, violin, his instrument, and breaks it on the way to getting to him. So they need to travel to travel to his hometown or home country, Jibberishia, where he can get the violin fixed. That's the plot, basically. So then... They go mm -hmm. towards Jibberishia, and as Ernest is getting there, he's telling Celestine all about how it's just this wonderful land where there's all the music and all these bears, and everyone's happy, and it's wonderful. And they get there, of course, and it's like now this like nearly fascist, no music state, oh, no. basically, <laughs> where like no one's allowed to play any note but just the note C. Uh, <laughs> so like, there's a really like. No, I don't want to spoil much, but they do a lot of really great comedy with the fact that C is the only legal note uh, in Jibberishia. Um, but it, it's following them as they go there, and Ernest reconnects with his family, um, essentially. So, like, uh, you learn a lot more about his life and his upbringing and all the pain that he caused his family from moving away and how that affects his community as well. Uh, but basically, it fascist. is just... Yeah, essentially. <laughs> how, how about fascism is the new Ernest and Celestine movie? It 
I mean, I would say it's pretty much about fascism. If wow, the only I would not have expected was to this limit left turn music. for the Ernest and Celestine series. <laughs> if the only goal was to limit music, then it is about <laughs> the the first movie is kind of about capitalism in a way. There's the yep. uh, the dentist's office that's right across the street from the candy shop, and they're like running a, a yes. you know, an exploitation scheme on the community. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it's just such a wonderful movie like i i connected with it even more and like i really i loved the first one because it came out while i was working at a movie theater in knoxville and i took my little sister to see it i didn't know anything about it and we just had the best time it's like that was a bit of a bonding movie and then seeing it uh seeing the new one was just like a similar experience like it draws you right back in even though it's been like a decade now like you're right back there uh with this bear and this mouse who are just so goofy but so fun to follow and it's got great um action and music because because there's a lack of music of course music's a huge feature in the movie so like there's a lot of like just amazing music in the soundtrack and the director was even saying that the like basically one of the first people they brought onto the movie was the composer like they had an idea as like as they're writing it and they're like well let's just go ahead and bring the composer in so that the composer could work with them from the beginning, basically. Um, Can I ask it, a question about music stuff? Yeah, um, for sure. There's a scene in the first movie where a song that Ernest plays um, kind of turns into like this abstract musical sequence where the colors are just kind of um, tracing the like emotions and, and uh, dynamics of the notes. Uh, is there like that in this movie? I don't think there's anything exactly like that. I will say this one, it's been, I guess, a decade now since I've seen the first one. But this one, um, from my point of view, is more interested in kind of the kinetic action and like kind of bombastic music that follows that. Um, but then there are like some really lovely slower moments with Ernest playing violin. <laughs> And then just in general with the animation just being kind of bizarre and more abstract, like it is definitely that. Like they they uh, are fine blurring lines because it's, I guess it's like, is it watercolor animation? Do y'all know? Yeah, watercolor. Yeah. Like there's lots of it's just like blurred lines like between things. Yeah, it's very playful. Um, the world's like always changing around them in like a really like lovely way and appealing way. Um, and then the other, the other thing that was just really cool, and this I don't have much else to say like about the movie, especially since it's not like, out quite yet. But it, Zach's saying it will come out this year, which is cool. Um, they the director, they at this festival they let kids ask questions at the Q and A. It's not like a rule, but it's pretty much like no adults get up to go ask questions. It's just lines of kids, and the director was just like so kind and patient, and it's like this older French man, and he's just trying to listen and like. Ask actually give interesting and diverse question answers to like all the questions and the kids are basically asking the same questions over and over uh but one kid did ask which this was hilarious this kid was like uh probably a preteen i think she she was like are ernest and celestine only friends and <laughs> just the look on the other kids faces. she's gonna go <laughs> home and start writing ernest and celestine slash fiction is that's what she wanted to know <laughs> There's there's gonna be some Ernest and Celestine zines coming out very soon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there are. But yeah, it's 
it's a, it's really good. I'm excited for it to come out. I think people have a really warm reaction to it, just like the first one. So yeah. super excited. Yeah, if you haven't seen the first one, like go find it. It's super sweet. Go find it where? I feel like you're <laughs> at the places where you've used them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look for it. Earn it. Look for me. Tell me where. All right, let's look. What do we got? It's on uh, Tubi. Oh, Shout I out to Tubi. Shout out to Tubi. On Tubi. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Brought to you by Tubi. This episode of Cemetery. <laughs> so, I'll take a Tubi. Uh, Tubi or not Tubi? I mean. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna wrap things up. We're gonna wrap things up now, and uh, we're gonna go into part two. We're gonna talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, after this. concluding our Michelle Yeoh series with 2000's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Directed by Ang Lee from a script by Wang Huiling, uh, Sai Kyu Jung, and James Shamas. <laughs> wow, are we... Uh... We're just no, making fun of people's names. No, no, I'm just laughing that like you have two uh, uh, Chinese Taiwanese names and you have James. Um, James Shamas. Yeah, just that James. James showed up for this one. James Shamus is listening to this episode right now. <laughs> Great job, James. Knocked it out of the park with this one. Let's give him his flowers. Truly. Uh, the film stars Chow Yun Fat, uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Zhang Ziyi, and Shang Pei Pei uh, in the 19th century Xing Dynasty uh, in China. A warrior gives his sword, Green Destiny, to his lover to deliver to safekeeping, but it is stolen, and the chase is on to find it. Uh, the search leads to the House of Yu, where the story takes a whole different level. The title, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, is a literal translation of a Chinese idiom, which describes a place or situation that is full of unnoticed masters. It is from a poem by the ancient Chinese poet Yu Jin, which means, uh, quote, behind the, rock, the in, behind the rock in the dark probably hides a tiger in the coiling giant root resembling a crouching dark dragon. Uh, the title has also several other layers of meaning. On the most obvious level, the Chinese characters in the title connect to the narrative that the last character in Zhao Hu and Zhao Long's characters, um, 
the uh, the two characters who meet at the mountain at the very end mean uh, tiger and dragon, respectively. On another level, the Chinese idiomatic phrase is an expression referring to the undercurrents of emotion, passion, and secret desire that lie beneath the surface of polite society and civil behavior, which alludes to this film's storyline. The story is set during the Xing Dynasty, dynasty which took place from 1644 to 1912, but it does not specify an exact time. Li sought to present a, quote, Chinese, uh, China of the imagination rather than the accurate vision of Chinese history. At the same time, Li also wanted to make a film that Western audiences would want to see. Thus, the film is shot for a balance between Eastern and Western aesthetic. There are some scenes uh, showing uncommon artistry for the typical martial arts film, such as an airborne battle among wispy bamboo plants. Uh, a compounding issue was the difference between accents of the four lead actors. Chow Yun-Fat is from Hong Kong and speaks Cantonese natively. Michelle Yeoh is from Malaysia and grew up speaking English and Malay. Uh, so she learned the standard Chinese lines phonetically. Only Zhang uh, Ziyi spoke with the native Mandarin accent that Ang Lee wanted. Chow Yun-Fat uh, said on quote the first day of shooting i had to do 28 takes just because of the language that's never happened before in my life in a 2000 interview with IndieWire, yo said she had to be the on-set coach for the other actors in martial arts uh saying quote it was a huge burden because when the director says to you i'm depending on you to do this for me it was a big responsibility to bear martial arts is something you can learn or pick up uh something you can't learn or pick up and think you can do really well yes with the camera movements and stunt doubles it helps uh, but if you have experience it makes a major difference the power the sense of timing on the difference between this and her other martial arts movies, she said, quote, the emotional uh, element, uh, uh, the dramatic side of it. Some of the martial arts films, the motivation is about martial arts. That's where uh, it's coming from. It is visual commercial film to showcase the next stunt, the biggest thing. Uh, and character, character development becomes a side thing. The action scenes are bigger than life. They overtake the whole movie. The reason why I'm doing this with Aang is because he is a dramatic, sensitive director where he's not going to let that overrun the movie. And when we fight, every action sequence has a different emotion, and that's how it should be. And that was so fulfilling. And last year in an interview with The Independent, she said that the film didn't do anything for Asian representation in movies, saying, quote, since it was a period piece, the audience can't, uh, couldn't relate to it. It's a beautiful movie. It's like watching poetry, but it didn't do it. didn't change anything for us. Um, in 2000, The New York Times said at times Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is like a compendium of every line from a Hong Kong action film ever made. And the cliches include someone intoning about the green destiny. It only looks so pure because blood washes so easily from its blade. Mr. Blee brightens the stockpiling by giving the picture a knockout screwball comedy bounce. Uh, the Guardian in 2000 said Crouchy Tiger adopts the convention of the Wuxia martial arts stories in formal combat. The rules of gravity are suspended and with them the rules of narrative and ordinary human possibility, bringing into the action genre a delirious new sort of magical, uh, magical realism. It grafts onto it uh, Onto it, a kind of uh, fabular quality which confers such distinction on the film, but leaves intact the thrills of the fight scenes themselves. And Roger Ebert said, like all ambitious movies, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon transcends its origins and becomes one of a kind. It's glorious, unashamed escapism and surprisingly touching at the same time. On that note, let's talk a little bit about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, had, who had, had everybody seen this before? I had. 
Yeah. Cool. I had. Um, so let's, cool. let's just go around. Um, uh, anybody, anyone to start out with their thoughts on, on this movie, maybe leading up to this latest watch? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll take it. This was uh, the third time uh, that I've seen this movie, actually. Um, there were several years back where um, I got really um, interested in wuxia films. And I, I never ended up watching a lot of the the big ones from like the 60s and 70s or prior, um, though we did do A Touch of Zen on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt uh, mostly like a little confused or out of my depth with that movie. But I absolutely adore um, a lot of the like Zhang Yimou, like Wuxia revivalist uh, films. I really like Wong Kar Wai's uh, Wuxia film, The Grandmaster. Um, and I watched this one alongside those. Um, and I think when I first saw this movie, my main thought about it was just like, wow, this fighting is really cool <laughs> because it has some extremely cool fighting in it. Um, I'm actually this time I, I viewed it through a somewhat different lens because I'm, I'm reading a book that is partially about Wuxia right now. I had it right here. Um, the book is is Nick Pinkerton's book about Goodbye Dragon Inn, um, and and I've been learning a lot about like King Hu and 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 Dragon Inn um, and just like the history of the wuxia genre, and um, it's it's interesting um, to to think about wuxia um, as like a sort of historical or literary genre um, where it's like. Uh, it is both throwing out the rules of gravity and and. You know, convention, um, but but also like trying to you know create this like what you said in the uh, in the in the fact sheet, Zach, like this this historical China of the mind of like the imagined like fantasy China from from years and years ago, um, and it's like dealing with a lot of themes of spirituality um, as well as as patriarchy, uh, the 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 way in which. Um, you have this monk character played by Chow Yun-Fat who's sort of internally battling between his sort of monk-like spiritual desire to kind of stay chaste and his um, more like human, um, you know, un- unconscious desire to like uh, have this loving relationship with Michelle Yeoh. Um, and then you also have a character like Zhang Ji who um, has had this like beautiful sweeping romance in the past, but because of her like role as a woman in 19th century China is kind of expected to live a very different life. Um, and so the, the movie is kind of thinking about a, a lot of that historical uh, stuff and also like presenting it through um, these really sublime kind of transcendent uh, fight sequences uh, that feel more like dances than actual like combat in a lot of cases though the combat is amazing too i think the the fight between michelle yo and Zhang ji uh, where like michelle yo has to like keep getting different weapons uh mm. to fight back against Zhang ji's like magical green sword um is just like really astounding and like plays with a lot of um like different modes of of martial arts um so, I mean, I, there's more things that I want to say about it too, but um, mostly I just think this movie is fantastic top to bottom. I think it's uh, it's incredibly um, like just uh, like pleasurable to watch it at every moment. Um, and, and it makes sense to me why um, this movie was such a ma- big hit with American audiences. Um, like 
more so than any other foreign film in, in American history, uh, especially after um, The Matrix had kind of popularized a lot of these um, like uh, cinematic techniques that were, were pioneered through through Wuxia films in the mm-hmm. in the decades prior. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear about uh, the the reaction of folks who had not seen this before. Um, how did it play for y'all? It was great. I had not seen this before. <laughs> I loved it. I I got um, I got to see it at Downtown West in a theater by myself, private screening. Hell yeah! Um, it was incredible. Just me, my big soft pretzel, my high noon, and the movie, and I just soaked it up. I loved every second of it. I I don't know anything about Wusha. No no lies between us. Like between <laughs> any of us here. I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything really about martial arts movies. It's super cool to watch. Um mm-hmm. Those are those are people who um, are incredible athletes that are that do incredible work and showmanship, and I will never be them. And I just watch with quiet awe and respect, and um, really enjoy it. And now my cats are doing wuxia. <laughs> yeah, it's time for them to eat right now, and that's why they're being awful. So I'm like a little embarrassed. Like their behavior is a direct reflection on me as their mother. So I like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very that um, Jay Fox over here. Um, and um, but I loved it. I definitely took more. Um, no one told me that this was such a beautiful romance. No mm-hmm. one told me that I like. Uh, that's what I fell for. Like, that's what I was like, just edge of my seat. Like when is, um, Master Lee and, and Shulin, like, when are they going to touch? Like, when are they going to kiss? Like, when are they going to have yeah. a moment? And I sobbed my eyes out, um, their, their moment together where he confesses his love. What a beautiful, beautifully well-written, like I, I ate this, I ate it up. Like I loved this romance. Like, Mm-hmm. A, a period romance you know pride and prejudice like very jane austen it was it was very austen it felt very austen like to me the two loves the um two different um uh, like social commentary like the mm-hmm. the gender commentary there as well like it all it all spoke to me on that level and and that's how i as a ignorant american viewer like found my way in and loved this movie <laughs> yeah no, yeah the, the scene where he tells her that like he has wasted his life because he chose spirituality over like a romance with her is just like so heartbreaking i'm crying like yeah because she's still hot and you're just like <laughs> we know how you feel. he's also dying from poison <laughs> at that moment yeah. Like it was it was yeah. so sad. Like her telling him, Don't waste your breath on me. Like she mm. is still like like my yeah. chest hurts. Like <laughs> she is still like sacrificing herself like for him while he thinks that he's sacrificing himself for her. Like and for her to say, like, don't waste your breath on me. Like, mm-hmm. no, like you are the only like you are the air he breathes. Like if you like if your present could presence could just cure this poison, then I mean like he would he would gladly take you. But unfortunately, 
here's the other wushu warrior. Um, but <laughs> unfortunately, you know, this is the end. And let this man get his confession. Let him tell you he loves you. And and it was beautiful. It was stunning. I also loved the excuse me, I love the love story between, oh my gosh, <laughs> they're really hungry. <laughs> they're really hungry right now. <laughs> I'm oh my, under attack. You should, Please send you, help. Should, you should go and you, you go feed them and we're going to continue this conversation because <laughs> it's becoming, really it's becoming combative now. <laughs> yeah. Um, go, feed go feed them. Go feed them. I yeah, in a second. I just wanted to say that I also loved the other love story that we got in this with, yeah. um, Oh yeah, I'll probably step away and go feed them. Oh my okay. god. <laughs> um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> you're good. You're good. We'll, we'll we'll mute you. You're good to go. Um, yeah. No, I I I I really enjoyed this as well. It had been a minute since I, we watched a bunch of Wuxia films. Uh, we watched uh, Touch of Zen. We watched Ashes of Time for the mm. um for the Wong Kar Wai series. We watched Grand Master, which also stars Zhang Zi uh, as well. Um, and that's how I was kind of like remember. I was like, oh yeah, she's in Grand Master. Um, also, uh, um, the guy's name is Cheng Chen. Uh, the the character. Oh, what is his name? It's like Dark Hello. Moon. Dark oh, Moon yeah, Dark is his Cloud. Name. Uh, Dark Cloud. Yeah, Dark Cloud. He's like a Final um, Fantasy character. Absolutely. <laughs> he is in a ton of Wong Kar Wai movies, too. So one thing that's cool about this is the way that it's sort of um, bringing together this, like, greatest hits of, like, Hong Kong cinema uh, acting talent. Um, yeah. It's really amazing. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's it's something... I think it's, it's such a... It, kind of a perfect mode like wuxia is for ang lee to kind of operate in because even his movies even his movies that he started making once he came to america like he operates on like this like super grand scale like heightened emotions and you know because he's always kind of you know he's always going for it's about like the spe- the spe- you know spectacle on screen it's about like he's giving you a full like 100% like movie time um and like kind of heightens those um heightens those moments heightens kind of heightens the characters and i feel like here it's not like it it's it's you know perfectly balanced it doesn't feel as like um you know uh, uh as you know, as insane as it can kind of get in some of his more recent movies. Um, but he definitely knows how to like marry that, like, you know, small, just, you know, small drama with like, just like these sweeping action sequences. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, go, going to the part where um, actually I'm going to let Reed talk real quick and then I'm going to get, I'm going to get oh, into a talking point. Okay. Um, so I saw this, I guess a few years ago and looking back at like what I rated it or what I thought of it, I was pretty surprised, like comparatively, like, I think I was kind of underwhelmed for whatever reason. Um, knowing myself too, like I used to be more likely to get lost in like plot mechanics with Wuxia movies or something like that. And I think that just doesn't matter too much. Like all you, like everyone's alluding to all that really matters here is the romance and the action. Yeah. Um, it's all about like the vibes. That, Bye. Yes, Bye. it really is. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think what I also really underestimated going back to it again was how, not unimportant, but how uh, little you get from Chow Yun-Fat's character. Like, mm-hmm. in my memory, he was super important because he's also in maybe like, the most famous couple fight scenes from the movie. Uh, but in the actual, like, movie, he's really not as central. It's much more Michelle Yeoh's character and, uh, sorry, 
Zhang Zi's character, um, their story, as well as their like diverting romances. Um, and then I just I was really blown away in particular this time. Like there's the great fight scenes that everyone that are talks about like the trees and stuff like that. that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I was really blown away that he spent like 30 minutes doing like a flashback to her previous love story like it's a full insane flashback movie. yeah and it's so good yeah. it's maybe the best part of the movie honestly yeah. and it is Fantastic. so good so and i like I, that their I, romance I, I, is like um you can't untangle it from their fighting with one another yes. too like all the a lot of the fight scenes in this movie are actually kind of love scenes too mm-hmm Oh yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and that's that's a big thing. And uh, with Zhang Ji's um, and her relationship with um, uh, Tony Lung and the Grandmaster, there's there's mm-hmm. an amazing mm-hmm. uh, scene between them that that feels like this romantic dance. Mm. Yeah, I was I was blown away again, like fresh eyes. I think from a like a global perspective, like we're talking about, too, Ang Lee's movies tend to just like work for larger audiences, even when he's taking a genre that's really entrenched historically and like within a nationality he can make it work for pretty much everyone and i think that's why this movie was such a hit and is so like uh accessible like i think the love story is very accessible the actual action is accessible and it's really not that shocking to watch people fly as soon as you're bought in pretty early you know yeah. it's amazing like i don't i don't understand yeah. why people complain about people flying in Wisha no. movies like i have some friends who can't take them seriously or laugh at them or something but like i don't expect this to be realistic i i expect it to yeah. be like kind of euphoric um and and fantastical and beautiful like i think it's it's yep. just incredible to watch um these actors soar through the air well literally every character in a blockbuster today like source of the air so it's yeah. like whatever yeah. um it's interesting looking at uh you know michelle yo's comment saying that this really didn't um move like asian representation in film uh mm. i feel like the, the other thing that the movie did and this is the, of no fault to the movie or anybody involved but like because it got like that level of popularity in um with American audiences, uh, it like it kind of created this this um, almost cliche of like this is what you expect just across the spectrum of like a Chinese movie, mm-hmm. um, even more than like I think you know like Jackie Chan movies or Samo Hung movies or uh, like it kind of in in like you're talking about King Kyu movies and like you know wuxia movies from the 60s and 70s. This is kind of like this you know Crouching Tiger is kind of now like if you're going what's a Chinese movie? This is kind of the the default, even though it's very, as you know, I mentioned in the notes, like it's a movie that Ang Lee was, was gearing to be a mix between Eastern and Western kind of uh, uh, like the way he, he filmed it. And so mm-hmm. it kind of, just in terms of its legacy, um, that's something that maybe, I think maybe t- took me a long time to kind of watch it was, it kind of almost seemed like this movie that um, was the, the, the movie from China that Americans could actually watch to, to you know, describe it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a oh. handful. I feel like afterwards in the early 2000s, we got a handful of movies that were trying to, like, crack that same vein and, like, be successful in America as well. And then even some, mm-hmm. like, American finance ones. Like, it, The Last Samurai has to be, like, a little bit of, like, 
mm-hmm. like piggybacking off. And then there's movies that were like fully Chinese as well that like I feel like they brought over purposefully and wanted to be a huge success. Like I remember I saw a Mongol in theaters at a young age, but like it seems very much like it's piggybacking off that same like, oh, a Chinese historical action movie did well. Let's mm-hmm. make it more. Yeah. There was even um, that movie, The Great Wall, a couple years ago that was mm-hmm. trying to make that viable with an American audience again. But the moment had kind of passed uh, by that point. Well, to, to, yeah, to her point, she's kind of going, you know, it's not these aren't these aren't Chinese characters that are like rooted in quite honestly, like rooted in reality to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like this is a period piece. These, you know, there's this kind of magical realism of like the the wuxia action. And so, you know, it's like you're it's like audiences were engaging. Western audiences were engaging with uh, a Chinese film, but they were engaging with it almost on their terms rather than just engaging with something with it being just kind of this like fully Chinese product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess so, also the relationship between China and like Ang Lee's country of Taiwan and Hong Kong is, is kind of a, an interesting one, right? Mm-hmm. Because China would tell you that it is like, it is in control of both of those uh, places. Sure. Um, but you know, the, the political histories of the relationship between like Taiwan and China and Hong Kong and China are like very complicated. Um, but Ang Lee is kind of playing with this specifically like Hong Kong, um, form and, Mm -hmm. and putting these major Hong Kong actors on display for all the world to see. Um, he even has kind of like a generational, uh, divide in the cast where you have this like old guard, of like Hong Kong action movies, you have a uh, Shang Pei Pei who was in uh, King Hu's Come Come Drink with Me, and then Chow Yun Fat who's in like every John Woo movie, and then you have this like younger like new guard of uh, Chang Chen who I mentioned earlier, and then Zhang Ji who this was like her uh, first big movie, maybe like her second or third movie ever, and then mm-hmm. she went on to make a ton of of action films that that are fantastic. Um, so it's it's cool that he kind of was just giving a, a, a stage for for those uh, you know in, incredible talented actors mm-hmm. um you know looking at looking at michelle yo in this movie um i agree like the there is like this just kind of power in the romance at the very ending um but going through this whole series of like watching her different roles in various uh uh, films, it still kind of feels a little bit like, um, it still feels a little bit kind of like she, you know, she gets the romance, but it's at the very end and the dude dies, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, like out of the movie and maybe, you know, I just, we need to broaden like, uh, the movies that she, that she's done to kind of see if it, if she's developed that, but it seems like, you know, constantly, she's just kind of never allowed to like be in love on screen, you know, like, like, you know, it's, it's, you know, from the ones that we watched, it was always, she kind of had a guy in the background, but it was really like, no, this is action and they'll like kiss at the end and that'll be it. And that's even the kind of the case in the James Bond movie. Um, And then like Wing Chung, it's, you know, it's almost like feels like tacked on that she has to have like some sort of romance in this. And like this one feels much, like I said, it feels much more natural. It's, it feels much more genuine than any of those. It doesn't feel like it's tacked on at all, but it's just kind of frustrating. Um, 
for her as like this character not to be able to have like this fulfilling romance throughout the the runtime of the movie it always kind of feels like it's it's something that's put on at the end also a thing that we've kind of run into over and over again doing this series is Michelle Yeoh not really being allowed to truly be a lead character. Yeah. Um, the, the only movie we've uh, watched where she's technically the protagonist would be uh, Wing Chun. But even in that, she's kind of presented as part of the ensemble. Um, yeah, Donnie and, Yen shows up and it's kind of like it becomes a little bit of a Donnie Yen show as well. Yeah. And and so one reason why I know a lot of people are really hype about everything everywhere is like it's kind of giving Michelle Yeoh center stage in a way that she hasn't gotten it throughout her filmography and hopefully will get it moving forward into the future. Um, but I was, you know, watching Crouching Tiger specifically looking for her. I was kind of disappointed by how little we got, mm-hmm. even though the where she is in this, the, all the scenes she is in this in this movie are really incredible. Like, where is she this whole time? We got the 30-minute flashback on that beautiful love story. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot stress enough how much that also made me weep. I loved watching that. I would have followed her love story. Like, I, that would have been incredible yeah. to see. Like, they set it up. It's her fiance. Jay Fox kills him. Her and then like her slowly like falling for uh Master Lee. Like, that would have been yeah. beautiful. I would have loved to take. 30 more minutes and explore that. Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. where is my girl? She had a gorgeous, like, older sister, younger sister dynamic there, um, which mm-hmm. was very fun to watch and made their fight scene in the end, her and, um, is it? Jane Jean. Yeah. Um, her, like, their fight scene, mm-hmm. like, all the more fun of, like, you're fighting your big sister, like, that's well, the- they also mm-hmm. they also like created as like a she's kind of because Michelle you was constantly kind of going no you need to go you need to go follow this path that, that you don't need to go off on this path like I've done that and that hasn't really you know I haven't seen the fruits of that labor in terms of like a partnership and she's kind of constantly going no you need to go you just kind of follow the path that your parents have given you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. like where was she in this? Like she hardly anywhere. This wasn't really. Her story, her romance, it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's kind of an asymmetry yeah, to the movie in that regard because you do get the 15, 20 minute flashback of, of Zhang Ji and her romance with Chang Chen. It would be really cool if we had that exact same thing happen for Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun Fat elsewhere in the movie. Yeah, she just gets kind of like the backgrounded tragic romance and mm-hmm. that that's it. Yeah, I haven't. Now I haven't seen the the Crouching Tiger sequel that does not ha- that has just Michelle Yeoh in it and adds mm. Donnie Yen. Sort of Destiny. Um, it has very low ratings on Letterboxd. Yeah, it's on. I guess it came out on Netflix. Um, I thought you were joking. I thought you were like bringing. I didn't know there was a sequel. I was like, oh yeah, cool. No, huh? It's real. Cool. Yeah, it's super real. Um, it came out in 2016. And I heard nothing about it yeah at the time or since yeah um but no just kind of you know like as that puts a bow on the series you know um 
the thing, uh, my takeaway, other than that Michelle Yeoh is incredibly attractive and still is, <laughs> um, it, but is that like, is, is, you know, a little, that plays a little bit into like being a fucking movie star. And I'm like, mm-hmm. like she could be a fucking movie star. She's got like the action shop. She's super like when they kind of give her time to like, you know, drop lines and stuff like that. She's great. Um, but just always kind of feels like, um, never really given never really given much of the you know of the spotlight and like you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that everything everywhere you know completely 100 percent uh absolves that because mm-hmm. quite honestly at this point like the the whole messaging around that has become also like it, you know the actors around her whether you know that's you know you have uh you have Jamie Lee Curtis, who is, you know, more than happy to steal anybody's spotlight for five seconds to make it about herself. You have, <laughs> you wow. have Stephanie Shue, you have, hey. Hey, on, uh, you know, you, you have all these other actors. And that's not to say that, like, it should just be, but, you know, there's a difference when it becomes like it's that person's show. You know, you look at something like The Whale with Brendan Fraser, where they're just like, that movies, that's Brendan Fraser's movie, like a thousand percent. Um, and this one is much more of like an ensemble thing, which is great because it seems like she might get an Oscar out of it. But at the same time, it's still, it's, it, you know, it's still not 100% Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure it is a consequence of like an intersection of racism and sexism in the film industry. And now also sure. ageism because she is older than she was when she first blew up. Um, but I, I really hope this does, like everything everywhere does lend to kind of a, a second or third act of of michelle yo's career yeah and some you know i think that the, honestly the series depressed me because she should have had like that act like in her like late 20s through mm-hmm. her 30s because like that was like prime like think of like wing chun even like we talked about in the last episode like tomorrow never dies that era like kick-ass oh, yeah. Michelle Yeoh would have been like great, just like leading leading movies. They should have done a spinoff with like her as the spy. Like we could have had some more of those. That would have been incredible to watch. Like, you know. So there's still this. Yeah, maybe she'll have like that 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 kind of third act. But uh, you know, it's just kind of a bummer. She's just really like her and her movies are even the ones that you know we didn't totally like. Like they're entertaining. They're all like she, she's always very entertaining in them. I also want to say, as we're winding down in the series, that um, because of the buzz around everything, everywhere, and Michelle Yeoh's, um, you know, best actress uh, prospects, uh, I think there has been a renewed interest in going back and watching uh, Michelle Yeoh's older movies. Not just from us, but you know, in the broader film discourse, um, like there's a bunch of her older movies on Criterion Channel, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm seeing people like critics log Michelle Yeoh movies on Letterboxd constantly now, um, but. In doing any of these actor series, we always kind of um, find movies that um, we, we weren't aware of from from the, the actor's earlier work and also then make mistakes and like miss movies that should have been included mm-hmm. um, because like a lot of the, the early work of, of actors like this are just go un, uh, undistributed and unremarked upon. Um, one thing that I kind of wish we had watched for the series that I, I now want to go watch on my own is the movie, the Johnny Toe movie, the heroic trio oh, um, with her and Maggie Chung. And I forget who uh, the other actress is, uh, but that movie looks amazing. Uh, also, apparently she did a documentary in 2009 called among the great apes with Michelle Yeoh, which is about Michelle Yeoh adopting an orangutan. 
And it's like just a documentary about Michelle Yeoh adopting her actual orangutan. That sounds delightful and sweet. I would like to watch that. (laughs) Clint Eastwood and the monkey, but like Michelle Yeoh and her orangutan. Does Clint Eastwood have a monkey? I didn't know Yeah, didn't Clint Eastwood like acted opposite a monkey in a couple movies, didn't he? Am I like making that up? Who is that? No, Ronald Reagan. Oh, Ronald Reagan. The wrong. Wow. <laughs> you do not got I'm a president one. I'm on spring break. <laughs> no, I can't help it. I... My yeah, Greg yeah, too. I'm a hundred percent gonna go and watch uh, Heroic Trio because that's on Criterion Channel right now, and go go back to Horny Jail because it's you know, you got Michelle Yeoh and Maggie Chung, like Jesus, and Anita. <laughs> I'm just looking up this movie. Yeah, I never heard of this uh, movie, the Heroic Trio, but it's got Anita Mui too, who's like amazing, and is in like Drunken Master and Rumble in the Bronx and. Yeah, she's also she's also connected to yeah Jackie Chan. So yeah, need to watch that movie ASAP. Yeah, no. So that's you know the take main takeaway is like you know if you're super like yeah this is awesome for Michelle Yeoh with everything everywhere she you know when she wins an Oscar because we don't know at this point on Saturday, um, then yeah like go back and watch um, especially some of the ones we talked about they have they put Police Story three on um, Criterion that one's hella fun. And the, just to watch the last act, action sequence, um, Wing Chun. I think we sent out the letterbox mm-hmm. link that you can watch that in two parts on your on online. Um, like, just go and watch some. I know, uh, yes, madam, which Michael watched for the first episode is is on the Criterion list too. Like, mm-hmm. go watch like some of those because you're just like, damn, like she's really she's super fun in these. Um, so, but overall, good series. Yeah, what are we doing next? Next series, we're going to be looking at the films of Don Bluth. Don Bluth, <laughs> who everyone um, is talking about. Yeah, this is another one. <laughs> Don Bluth's having a Bluthessence. Um, is he actually? I was joking. No, he's not. <laughs> okay. He's a, he's just he's an 85-year-old man just living his life now. Um no, Don Bluth's interesting. He came up through uh the Disney ranks was um you know, pretty integral in a lot of er- like storyboarding and developing a lot of a lot of the early Disney movies that people kind of look fondly of and was one of the big leaders to leave Disney um, and go, you know, hey, like, let's make let's make some, you know, let's let's make, com- you know, competitive animation rather than just making Disney animation the only thing, um, which God bless him. Yeah, what if monopolies were bad? Don Bluth said. Yeah, that's what Don Bluth said. But um, I think we've settled on we're gonna do uh, the Secret of Nim, which is his first movie outside of Disney. Um, that is uh, that's that's probably one of the, his more well known ones. Um, I think uh, alongside that, weren't we also gonna look at his short Dragon's Lair? Yeah, which I'm yeah we're gonna. That. We're going to look at those, which are on, um, which are some of the stuff that he worked on for Disney. Um, and then uh, we're going to do an American Tale. I love that movie. Wait, are we going to do American Tale? Yeah, no, we're not going to do um, We were going to do American Tale or Land Before Time. I don't remember. I think, we're gonna do a Land, I think we're going to do Land Before Time. American people, Tale. People like that one. American they, Tale, they, they, West. Hey, I mean, if Grace yeah, wants to come on it. for the episode... <laughs> I think that we should do American Tale. We'll just leave. That'll be a that'll be a Patreon exclusive. We'll just let Grace talk about American Tale. Give me the mic. Give me the mic right now. <laughs> in the in the end, we're gonna we're still deciding on the uh, on the order. But uh, 
yeah, we're going to be looking at, at American animator Don Bluth um, and kind of his, because like I said, he's kind of fascinating as you go through the 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 80s yeah the 80s if you go through the like the the 80s into the 90s his movies through the 80s like american tale land before time secret of nim really like got disney kind of off the you know knocked them off a little bit as they as a lot of their stuff started suffering and it led to like the 90s renaissance that now people associate with disney with like beauty and the beast and little mermaid and and things like that like that was a, a little bit of a direct response from uh you know, losing out to a lot of these Don Bluth uh, and similar movies in the eighties. So we'll get into that a little bit. So, um, and we'll decide on American tale for, for grace. American tale. We could just do five. We could do, we should probably not be planning on the podcast, but we could do secret in the American tale and for time and well, stage the Titan AE. Well, yeah, we'll figure it out like off, <laughs> off of the mic. Um, all right, well, that'll wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cinematary, on Letterbox or on Twitter and Instagram at uh, handle at Cinematary, and on Letterbox at letterbox.com slash Cinematary, where we list all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Thank you so much to our patrons, Cam, Chad Newsom, Candace, Ron Hayes, Teresa Marsathi, and Tyler Chandler. Thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, like we said, uh, next episode, we're going to be probably doing secret of nim that's like the yeah, first movie sure. so we'll be for sure doing that along with some, some disney shorts so um till then thank you all for listening we'll see you for 445